Wow, it's wonderful to see you all. Happy Easter, everyone. We, uh, our prayer this morning is that as you eat those cakes, they will add no fat to your body. So, Father, we just give thanksgiving. We just pray over these cupcakes and these marshmallows and these chocolates. And uh, we just pray that they'll come into our bodies and be blessed. I really do want to encourage you, though. That we, uh, I don't know how many we're going to be sending, but we, maybe eight or nine of our youth are going to go to Sri Lanka for uh, 10 or 11 days. They're going to be across there. They're going to go to Colombo and Urelia and Trincomalee and do um, ministry in each of those three places. And so um, I went last night and actually booked Matthew and Hannah's tickets. They're going. And uh, I need some money back from the cupcake. So let's support them. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this extraordinary day that we get to celebrate. And I want to pray that as I preach from your word today, that there would be uh, your words spoken and your anointing. We, uh, everything else pales in significance. Whatever memorials we build to men are, are sandcastles, Lord God. We, uh, the only thing that lasts, the only glory that remains is yours. And we pray that you and your son would receive glory and honor and praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. So my title of my preach this morning is When Love Comes to Town. And if any of you are U2 songs, uh, U2 fans, you'll recognize that line. And I'm going to read from Acts 2 verse 23, and uh, we'll come back to U2 in a moment. Just one verse. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Many times this number are gathered in just a crowd r r around. And Peter says this, verse 23, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I've been listening to the radio this week, and uh, it's amazing to me how much stuff there is on the radio about Easter. There's this Easter extravaganza with an egg extravaganza. You get it? Extravaganza going on here and there, and you can win tickets and prizes, and the shops are full of Easter eggs where you can go and buy them and fill your children with sugar so that they can irritate you for longer in the day than they normally can. And uh, what amazes me about this, though, in this, this country that we live in, and in a, I mean, we're living in a country as a Muslim country, and Easter is just openly and publicly spoken about all over the place, and even in some form celebrated. What strikes me strange is how something that is so infused with God and his kingdom, and the gospel, something that is at its very core absolutely supernatural, the death of Christ upon the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, can be so easily co-opted by the world around us. And I kind of thought maybe it's, it's like, you see this often in Dubai, traffic accidents. Am I right? That's one of the things. I think I get to see a traffic accident at least every week. There's one. Well, there's one just near my house the other day, in a road that's not long enough to get up any speed at all. I don't know how they did this. They must have practiced a few times to get this right. These two vehicles, they hit each other so hard, they were completely and utterly smashed. And I just thought, oh, they're in my way. And are they going to make me late? And I kind of rolled my car around, and I went through, and I carried on like this without any thought to it. I didn't think about the people that were involved, because they're not my people. They weren't somebody I know. They just drive on. And we do. We, we go, oh, traffic jam. You look on ways like this, oh, there's an accident up ahead, and you text your mate, sorry, I'm going to be late, I'm caught in traffic. It's, we come completely detached from this incident that, that has taken place. And we, we do something that we, we get good at. We keep inconvenient truth at arm's length from us. We don't let it get too close to us. We don't let the, that trouble become our trouble. 
And this is the detachment that Peter is challenging in this message when he speaks to his listeners. He brings the death of Jesus front and center. He doesn't let it stay somewhere over there and like, this is awkward. Let's rather not talk about this. He brings it and puts it front and center. He puts the death of Jesus in our lounge. And he puts the death of Jesus in our office and in, in our, where we play in our everyday world. And Jesus says this, this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth is not a stranger. It's not the, the, the nobody that you know in the car. He says that this is um, not some random person. He says, you know, he's saying to the, the people that were there, you know as well as I do that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the one that has been spoken about, the one that has been attested to by God through the signs and wonders that he's done. He tells us who he is. And he, doesn't, he wasn't killed far away. He wasn't killed like, like, like we, re, we hear about the news and we hear about the, the Christians killed in Cairo. And we go, well, that, that's far away. That's not here. At least we're here. At least that's not happening here. No, no. Jesus, Peter tells, he was killed right here in your backyard. He was, he, and, and we were, we can't just drive by this one. We can't just change the channel. The spotlight is on us, Peter's saying, and how will you respond? And then Peter blows our mind. And he says, even though you're responsible for his death, that we share in the culpability, and I'll talk about this in a moment, of the death of Jesus. We're to blame. He says, even though you're to blame, this was God's plan from the beginning. He's definite. Is, is worked out plan from the beginning that his son would come and die upon that cross. And here we see this incredible paradox, this seeming contradiction. Is it this thing or is it this thing? Well, it's both of God's divine sovereignty, of his divine predestination, and of our human free will and responsibility. And before I dive now into Peter's words and get into the guts of this, I want to play a song for you. And it's, it's I, think, I think he's one of the greatest songwriters has ever lived. I think they're one of the greatest bands that have ever played. And if you disagree with me, we'll go out the back later and we'll talk about it. But I, I think I'm drawn especially to this guy because I remember seeing him in an interview once. He was being interviewed by a pastor. And he said to him, he was talking about grace and he was talking about karma. And he said, I'm so grateful that it's grace and not karma. He says, if it was karma, I would be, and then he used a slight expletive. He said, but if it's grace, I've got a chance. And he's a man of grace. And this song, as he sings it, is actually um, an admission of guilt, a celebration of that grace, and a declaration, a response of saving faith. And uh, the band is U2, the artist is Bono, and the song is When Love Comes to Town. It's uh, this video is from 1987. I didn't even know they had videos in 1987. That's amazing, eh? I'm only joking. 87 is old, the quality is not good, but the music is amazing. So won't you play it and we're going to listen to it.
What a great song, eh? So Peter starts off in this verse, in this, on his preach, and he says, he says this, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. He says, you did it. It might have been the Roman soldiers that savagely whipped him and mocked him and ridiculed him. It might have been those Romans who knew nothing of the law of God, and that's why they were called lawless men, who stuck, struck the nails they pinned him to the cross. They would suffocate him to death in the most cruel way imaginable. But actually, Peter's saying, it was you that crucified him. And the Bible doesn't leave us sitting there pointing our fingers at that crowd who are pointing the fingers at the leaders who are pointing the fingers at the Romans. It's like the Garden of Eden again, everybody blaming somebody else. The Bible draws us into that you. It says to us this morning, you crucified him. I love the words of that song where Bono places himself right there. He says, I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldiers drew the sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. And we can stand back this morning and look at the, the cross as a historical artifact. Matt sent me a, um, an, art, well, yeah, he sent me an article on um, a survey they had done in the UK around the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what people believed. And I was struck by the fact that half of the Christians didn't believe what the Bible said about Jesus and his death and his resurrection was true. I don't know how you can be a Christian if you don't believe what the Bible says about the death and the resurrection is true. But it struck me that for so many of us, even us Christians, we can stand back again from the cross and see it as something that took place over there instead of allowing the cross to be here in the middle of our life today. And that's one of the things I loved about the stations of the cross. I love that it makes it real for us. We took our kids last night, and you, you're interacting. You're sitting, having the Passover meal. You sit in the Garden of Gethsemane. You go before Pilate. You, you kneel before the cross. You come to the empty tomb. It's as real today, friends, as it was then. And Peter makes this present to us. And it's not because 
you were physically present there. I mean, obviously we weren't. We were only born now, and we could say, well, I mean, if I had been around, it would have been something completely different. I would have stood for Jesus. I would have fought for Jesus. But the first sin that you ever commit in your life tells you that that's not the case. Because, friends, what was present, what was tangibly present 2,000 years ago on this day when Christ was actually being nailed to the cross was your sin and my sin. And it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross, as if nails could hold down the man that by his mere words had calmed a storm, as if soldiers could keep him captive, the same man that had spoken to the the bars of death and commanded that they release those that held them when he raised Lazarus from the dead and that widow's son. No crowds or Roman ruler could ever judge Jesus as guilty and condemn him when, when he had lived a perfect and sinless life. Jesus says in John 10 verse 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus wasn't forced onto the cross. He willingly went to the cross. His life wasn't taken from him. He laid his life down for us at the cross. And the reason he did it was that without his sacrificial death, our sin would have remained. He did it because of his love for us. It was our sin that held him to the cross and not any nails from soldiers. And in that song, Bono sings a song and he talks about the, the, I once was lost, I once was blind part of our lives. And those of us that have met Christ, all of this, in fact, everyone has this. If you haven't met Christ, you're just living in that still. And he says, I was a sailor, I was lost at sea. That's not good. Because if you're a sailor, you shouldn't get lost at sea. It's like, like, that's, what? You're a sailor. You know how to use your navigational equipment. You can't save yourself. In fact, he says, I was beneath the waves when love rescued me. He was off the boat. The sailor had lost his boat. There was, he's saying, I, I was so lost that I had no way of saving myself. I was lost in this vast sea. I was beneath the waves, and I, there was nothing that I can do. I was a fighter. I could turn on a thread. I think he meant I had a, I had a short temper. You just, you just put anything before me, I'll get angry. I used to make love under a red sunset. I was making promises I would soon forget. She was pale as the lace of a wedding gown, but I left her standing before love came to down. And the picture is of this innocent beauty that he, he manipulated, he used for his own benefit. He's talking about the life he had before Christ came into his life. And he reminds us of what it says in the scripture, Romans 3 verse 23 for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And Isaiah the prophet says it like this in chapter 64 and verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one was texting on the freeway that day with the accident to decide, Hey buddy, I'm going to be late. There was no... They weren't just niggling each other and talking to each other. As Peter preached this message and said, you crucified the Lord. The Bible says a few verses later on, it says they were cut to the heart and cried out, brothers, what must we do to be saved? One of the most moving aspects of this verse is when Peter says that Christ's death at the hands of the Romans and the hatred of the Jews was actually God's plan. 
He says he was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. See, what, when you look around the world today, you see, I mean, I, I, I really do enjoy watching the news, but holy moly, hey, it is chaos out there. It doesn't matter where, what country you turn to. It doesn't matter where you look on the news. There's craziness going on. I come from a country called South Africa. Craziness. If you've come from a country called America, I want to say you've got some craziness going on there. If you come from England, it's pretty crazy. If you come from Europe, there's some craziness going on there. If you come from Africa, well, there's always craziness going on in Africa. If you come from Asia, there's craziness there. It doesn't matter where you go. And if you come from Syria, you know what's going on there right now. There's a war that is just... What is going on? If we, we, we turn on the news this week and we, and we saw 40 Christians killed while at church, a bomb goes off while they're in church, you're like, God, what is going on? Is anybody in control of all this? And this chaos and the evil is an expression not of the will of God, but of the free will of man. But alongside this evil and in the midst of this wickedness, God is working out His plan even as he was. It looked like evil was reigning. It looked like chaos was supreme when Christ went to the cross. But in that place, God was glorified more than at any other time. And he is glorifying his name in the earth today. And he is setting apart for himself a people that will belong to him. But as Peter declares this, it's also a blow. It's a hammer blow to pride in man. I'll figure this out. We'll sort this out. This is going according to our plan. I think people hate the idea of the sovereignty of God because even the wickedness they want to be responsible for. I want to be responsible for everything. Nobody shapes my life. No one will take me anywhere that I don't want to go. But actually, there's no way we can save ourselves. No theologies we can come up with. No philosophies we can come up with. No politics. It's not the, the democracy of the West. It's not the philosophies of Marxism. It's not the economic strategies of this person or that person that can save us. It's, it is only God's plan that can save us. And it's a blow to the hostility the enemy wants to put between us and God our Father. Because one of the things that becomes apparent when you hear Peter saying this is that God is the initiator of our salvation. It wasn't like one day we decided we walk along and we kind of go, Actually, you know what? We're in trouble. We need, to, we need to say, we need to, why do we pray to God and ask Him if He can't make a way for us to be saved? No, no. We were lost. We were loving our lostness. We were lost in our lostness. We were blind. We were going our own way. The Bible says we were the enemies of God. And even our good works were stained by our sin. And at that point, God initiates His rescue plan. In the Garden of Eden, already there, God started His plan of rescue. And so the Bible says, for God... So love the world that he sent his only son. Out of his love, he sends the son. And out of the son's love for us, he forsakes the majesty and the glory of heaven. And he takes on this, this crazy assignment, this terrible assignment that we remember today. And why did he have to do it? The reason is because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is completely just and completely loving. God is not... 70% loving and 30% just. Like, I wonder what he's going to be today. Is he going to be like really a just God today? Or maybe I'll get to catch him as the loving God today. Or maybe the God of the old covenant was the just God and the God of the new covenant is, is the loving God. God is always and eternally completely just. There's not anything that he can possibly ever do that would be in, unjust. And there is no injustice that he will ever overlook. 
And God is completely and utterly and always loving. He can never not be the perfection of love. And only in the cross are those two things able to come together. See, God doesn't need the cross just to be just. We've sinned, and God could judge the earth and judge all generations of mankind and go, well, you've sinned, and you're going to get what you deserve. And if he gave us that, there could be no voice of objection that was ever raised. He would be completely just if he did that. But in order for his love and his justice to be fully expressed, God makes this way, the only way, for us to be uh, forgiven and to be reconciled to him. There is no other way given to men to be reconciled to God the Father, to be forgiven for our sin. We use this word saved a lot, like, like what is salvation? Some people think salvation is winning the lottery and having a big house or something or whatever, or finding that beautiful woman that you're going to marry or, or having sex or I don't know, whatever people think salvation is. But salvation is this is that we were created by God and are separated from Him by our sin. And there's a penalty that that sin deserves. There's a justice that needs to be meted out upon that sin. And that perfect justice has a name, and it's called wrath. And we are under that wrath. We are, we are, it's like we're on this conveyor belt, and there's this vroom, 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 fan at the end of it, and we, we're moving towards us, and that's the course of our life. We're on this road of death. And God comes, and He rescues us from there, and He brings us not just off that conveyor belt, away from the road that leads to death, but brings us into eternal life and into relationship with Him. And only through the cross is that possible. And so Paul explains when he writes the, the, the epistle, the letter to the Roman church, and he says that in the cross, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God, who had overlooked the sins of the past, at the present time, now is proven to be both just, he, he doesn't overlook sin. If I, if I sin against Ethan, let me have your little thing here. If I steal this toy from Ethan here, how's this thing? Cool, eh? If I steal that from him, and you, I can just say, I'm sorry, buddy, and then I just keep it. That's not justice. Justice is actually, in fact, I was reading it this week. I would not only have to give him back this, I call it the old covenant, but 20% more. So I'll give you two dirham as well, okay, because I'm returning it to you. But there's, there's justice that has to be done. And every injustice that is forgiven by God is visited upon Christ on the cross. Every, think about this, every sin we've ever committed that is, that is forgiven by God is visited upon Christ, upon the cross. No sin, no injustice will ever remain undealt with. God is both just, and the verse continues, and the justifier of all men, and the forgiver, the, the, the savior of all men. And this, on this awful Friday 2,000 years ago, as Jesus was dying upon the cross, love has never been more evident. And Jesus is the manifestation of that love. I love that. I was, I've been singing that song all week, that U2 song. I've been playing my air guitar, and I've been going to the house. Linda is almost beside herself. Please, she's trying to teach me another song. And, I, and they tell me to stop singing. But, but love is Jesus. When Jesus comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When Jesus comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. As I've, I'm sure B.B. King sings it like that at the end. But Peter points to him. He says, it's this Jesus, this Jesus, not somebody else, not just anybody, but this Jesus of Nazareth, this one that you know, this man that, had a, that existed at a real place in a real time. And there's, there's, there's no historians that dispute the existence of Jesus. 
there are Jewish historians, uh, secular historians, even Muslim scholars that acknowledge the fact that Jesus was a man who lived at that time. The question is not whether he was there. The question is, who is he? Who was this Jesus? Or more importantly, who is this Jesus? In Acts chapter 5, there's a, one of the, the rulers of the Pharisees. is a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And they were meeting in their, their kind of council like this. And they were judging Peter and John because they'd been preaching the name of Jesus. And they, were, they, were, they didn't really know what to do because they couldn't really stop these guys preaching this message. The more they kind of punished them, the more they carried on preaching. And Gamaliel stands up and he says, this Jesus is a nobody. He says, and he, and he begins to list. He says, some time ago, this guy rose up as if he was somebody. And 400 people followed him. But then he died and they all scattered and dispersed. He says, and then this other person rose up, and he said he was a somebody, and people followed him, but then he died, and they dispersed as well. And he says the same with Jesus. And he says this in verse 38 of Acts 5. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. And that's what Gamaliel believed, that this was Jesus was just a man who died upon the cross and what he had accomplished would be nothing. And even today, many in the East, they acknowledge Jesus as somebody extraordinary, an amazing teacher, uh, a guru, if you like. But Peter and the apostolic witnesses that would follow him said something else. They said Jesus is actually God himself, the Son of God. And he says this, he says this in, in the verse before, in verse 22, he says he was attested to by God through signs and wonders and miracles. And that word attested in the Greek actually has the idea of being exhibited. And it was like God was putting on an exhibition in the life of Jesus, in his birth to a virgin, in his sinless life, in his teachings of, of authority that had never been accounted before, in the signs and the wonders and the miracles, and most especially in the resurrection of Jesus. God was exhibiting him and saying, this is my son, the son of God. And in his letter to the church in Rome, Paul says this, Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh, but declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And it was he that died upon the cross that day. And people from outside of the faith might sensibly ask this question, why make such a fuss about the death of Jesus? Why makes this? Because there's others that have suffered more and died more agonizing death that have been tortured for longer. Why make such a fuss about this? And Peter answers them emphatically because it's this Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect sinless Lamb. There was a criminal that was crucified on the right-hand side of Jesus who was arguing with the one that was crucified on his left. And he is saying to him, do you not fear God? He says, we are here because we deserve to be here. But this man is innocent. And Jesus is the only man that never sinned in any way whatsoever. It's hard for us to comprehend what that means to have never, ever sinned. To, to have, like, like sometimes I'll get a speeding fine. <laughs> and I can't complain too much because, in fact, it's not the speeding fine. I don't actually speed that much. But sometimes I get a fine for, I can't remember how they describe it, illegal lane maneuvers. Have you ever got a fine for that? Anyone ever got a fine for that? Please be honest now. Confess it now. Angela? You, uh, Jim's slightly putting his hand up. So I've had that <coughs> a couple of times. And, um, and I don't complain because when I think back through my week, I think, yeah, 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 
it's true, a few times actually. I only got it once. I mean, and we can be like that with sin. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, we know what we really like. Other people might not know, but if we look in our hearts, we know we deserve. We deserve to be judged. We deserve it. But Jesus never did. He was the perfect, spotless lamb, the one without blemish that went to the cross. Jesus was also the creator of heaven, is the creator of heaven and earth. And I love how Paul writes in Colossians this hymn when he writes this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority or things were created through him. All things were created through him and for him. The creator of heaven and earth was nailed to the cross by the created. I mean, we are not his most magnificent creation. I mean, I think people are amazing. I mean, I, I think my, I mean, Ethan is extraordinary. Ethan, you're he's, just, he's the bee's knees. But then you go see the Himalaya mountains, and then you look at the Milky Way, and you think like, he created, we, we, this is, we just ordinary people that we need to eat and sleep and barely go for two weeks in a row before we run out of energy. Like my battery on this microphone. Um, creator of heaven and earth. And he, uh, he hung on that cross. Not just an ordinary man, not a random man, not one picked out from amongst us that would be a volunteer to go to the cross, but the creator of heaven and earth. Karl Barth calls God the altogether other. He's, we, are, we are created in his image, but, but he's not a man like us. When we, when we behold the glory of God one day, we will not be able to contain ourselves. When John, who lay against the, the chest of Jesus at dinner, sees him glorified in heaven, he falls at his feet as though dead. He has to be lifted up by Jesus. He, he cannot believe the glory of God. He, that Jesus, was the one killed upon the cross. And the suffering isn't just the ghastly beatings and the brutality and the, the betrayals and the slander and the slurs and the lies that Jesus endured upon the cross. The most profound expression of his suffering is expressed in these words in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, when Paul writes and he says, but he who knew no sin became sin. But he who knew no sin became sin. I want you to for a moment to think of the worst sin that you can ever think of. Think of the sin that if it was committed against you or your family, you, if you were honest, you would say, I don't know if I could forgive that. I mean, I've thought about this. I thought, if this ever happened, I think I would kill the person, then I would forgive them. I mean, I, I'm just being honest here. If somebody did this to me or my family, so whether it's, whether it's a, a fraud that, that robs your parents of all the money they've saved their whole lives, or a, a molestation of child, or a, or a rape, or a murder that takes place. Now imagine you'd never done one of those things, and then one day you woke up and you were that person. You're not, not, you were just being falsely accused of it. That sin became your sin. You woke up and you were the pedophile. That was your sin. That was the guilt that you carried. It was you that had done that thing. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. Every sin, every lie we've spoken, every rebellious attitude we've had, every thought, idolatrous thought, every sexual impurity, every thought of anger towards a brother, every murder that's ever been committed, all of those things hung upon Jesus that day. That's why we make a fuss. Because on this day, he said, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. I'll take everything. Because I don't want them to take the price 
that it demands. And it's a provocative question, why the fuss? But the answer is incendiary. The Jesus which we remember on this day, which hundreds of millions of believers through the ages have celebrated on this day, on this day paid for our sin. It was this day that the Lord and creator of the heavens and the earth became our Savior, our Redeemer. It was on this day that love was manifest most magnificently on earth. And so Bono sings, I was there when they crucified my, my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew the sword. I rolled the dice. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. And then these wonderful words. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Won't, um, won't some of the worship team just come up, please, just for a moment. The song doesn't end there. Put up the next slide. Seven years ago, Matthew and I were involved in a car accident, and uh, we, were, we were driving along, and this time it wasn't my fault, and some guy came into our lane at high speed and just plowed into us. And Matthew was airlifted by a helicopter and uh, had to have his, his, his spleen and hemorrhage, and he had to have it um, removed. And uh, there I was being cut out the car while Jaws of Life there. And, uh, and that's Linda looking in at me there. And Linda couldn't be detached. She can't drive past that accident and go, it doesn't apply to me. She can't just go, oh, well, it's got nothing to do with me. And what Peter does with the cross is he says, you can't just drive by this one. You can't just walk around, even as Christians. We can't just approach the cross as if it's, it's a thing over there. We've got to come to the cross and recognize it's here right before us the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And this ended well. I mean, I'm standing out today and Matthew's running around like he's got no problem in his life and we thank God for that. The cross ends gloriously, my friends. It ends wonderfully. And we celebrate on Sunday and, I, and, I, and I, the, 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 this is the Friday and we do need to remember it. We don't want to skip straight to Easter Sunday and go, woohoo! But we, we want to remember the price that our Lord paid. We want to remember who it was that was upon the cross, what he accomplished upon the cross, and why he went there. Not because we were motivated by love, but because he was motivated by love. And so the, the song continues and says this, when love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. I feel like we should all sing this together. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to do the things I did, or to let you down. But I did what I did before love came to town. And there's a scripture in Psalms that speaks about this in part. It says, the chariots of God are twice 10,000. Thousands upon thousands, the Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. And then listen to this. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. That's a train of his robe. And receiving gifts among men even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. And the invitation to us today as believers 
is to reflect upon the cross, reflect upon what Christ has accomplished for us. And friends, I, my, there was something that was stirring inside of me around this thing of, of us not kind of walking around the cross of Jesus Christ like this, but actually coming to the cross of Christ this morning as believers and thanking Him for the cross, doing what we did early on when we sang, it is finished, it is finished, it is done. Death could not hold you down. And, uh, and to, to appropriate this morning the power and the wonder of what Christ has done for us. See, when we see who it is on the cross, we worship. When we know what He's done on the cross, we walk in forgiveness. And when we know why He's done it, we revel in the love of God.